This is Margaret Copeman Frankowitz with another episode on diabetes survival and our diabetic survival. I can't remember which one I called it. Anyways. Okay, so I wanted to say one thing. If you're going to do keto, I hope you do. You need to stop counting calories. I just thought I'd make that clear. You need to stop counting calories. Obviously, if you're not doing keto and you're going your own route, you know, forget what I said. But I'm talking about the people who want to try keto. Another thing is, is I was actually watching this new video by Dr. Steinheckberg. He just had it come out about eight hours ago. And I, I love watching his videos. I watch the old videos. I watch the new videos. And then I'll watch the old videos again. Then I'll watch some new videos. It's just amazingly awesome. It's a very awesome experience because the guy is so knowledgeable. I, I feel like I'm missing out if I if I don't hear his program. So I, I, I he's the only person I actually will backlog programs and actually watch him. And I'll watch him again and again and again because eventually it's going to absorb into my brain and then I will know it for sure because a lot of the information that he actually uh, teaches on is very useful uh, in, in determining what direction you're going to go in keto. And um, there's actually a few tips and points that I actually wanted to actually recommend. Okay, I'm back. All right, so yeah, don't count calories if you're going on a keto diet. It's the rules are a little bit different, and basically you're taking the nutritional pyramid, U.S. pyramid of, you know, the food, dairy, pyramid, thingy, and you're like, you know, you're getting rid of it out. Because, you know, on the very top of the pyramid, you see the little sweets and stuff that you can have, and they show like a little bitty squares for that nature. You definitely cross that one out. You really shouldn't be eating anything, no sugar, like no sugar. Sugar is a poison. So, and of course, you know, like I was saying, everybody has their own diets that they're on. Some people are very happy with their diets and they don't need to do keto. That's fine. There's some of us that need to be on keto, especially when the dietitian who comes to you tells you you need to eat this and this and this and this, and you still see your numbers moderately going up. And of course, you're going to have, you're going to get to a period of time where you're going to have to decide either I'm going to have to change my diet or I'm going to have to take insulin. And of course, that's why I actually list this podcast uh, for different ways of how you can actually change that. So at one point in time, when my doctor said that I was going to need insulin, that scared the heck out of me. And that was when I decided that I was going to do everything that I can to actually change my diet and reverse that because I had definitely let this go way too far and did not put my health into consideration. I accepted the fact that I was going to be diabetic for the rest of my life because it ran in my family. And to this day, I have all my family members, my brothers and my brothers, anyways, I should say, um, all have diabetes. I have four brothers. And they have it to an extent. I'm not saying they have full-blown diabetes that I know of, but they do have it to an extent. And I think early detection is going to be great for actually saving your kidney function. Kidneys are very important. Of course, everybody knows this. And the sooner you can actually rein it in and gain control over that, or as much control as you can, if something is inevitable, especially when you have a history of it in your family, 
the better it's going to be to help you and help you live longer. Now, the good news is, is um, like for instance, I'm on metformin. And so I take metformin to actually help me moderately reduce my blood sugars. And it does a good job for what it's intended. It does. And one of the benefits of metformin is, for me anyways, um, and of course everybody's different in, in, respects, in respects of metformin. Uh, so some people cannot tolerate metformin. And so, of course, they don't do metformin. They do other types of diabetic drugs. But metformin's always been the first choice of most doctors to actually get you on first to see if you're tolerant to that, to see if that's going to help your blood sugar because it's a more natural way of actually doing things since it is an actual extract uh, from a plant or it mimics one, one of the two. Um, But diet's next. And one of the things about metformin that's really nice is that I gradually lose weight when I'm on the metformin. And it's a slow process, but it's doing a great job because it's reducing your blood sugars. So obviously any diet where you're reducing the carb intake as a diabetic um, and you're reducing those blood sugar numbers, your body's going to gradually go back to normal. And uh, well, (laughs) I say gradually, even though keto's actually been the best weight loss of my life and it wasn't actually gradual, it was like instantaneous. I mean, not overnight. We're not talking you're going to drop 60 pounds in like a day or so. It's going to take like six months or so, but, or, or longer. But, um, something that you do need to know about keto is that, uh, a diet that's right for me where I'm losing four pounds a week may be a lot different from you. Uh, there are some people that that go on the keto diet and it doesn't work at all and they're losing zero, nothing. And one of the, the suggestions Dr. Stein Eckberg actually said for people who who actually hit that point where they're not losing any weight on the keto diet anymore is uh, it's time to change it up and start experimenting a little bit with your carbs. Maybe, you know, either drastically reduce your carbs even further than what you are. Um, or he has even admitted to Atkins, which is, uh, of course, a meat diet. And... Of course, if you're a vegetarian, you're going to argue with me on that one. Um, and I guess he, <laughs> that's a given because some people swear by vegetarian diet. I'm, I'm sure that's a good diet too, but you know, vegetarian diet is not that I haven't tried that before. I did try that in my, and I did lose 20 pounds in a year, but it took me a year. Whereas the keto, I've dropped 60 pounds in six months. So when you're talking, uh, calories and time and you know weight gain etc and losing weight uh, you know you gotta do what's best for your body so of course for me a vegetarian diet is not going to help me lose the weight that a keto diet would and so of course I'd pick keto not only is it faster but it's tastier as well so um, he did address the which I'm very happy with because I mean he just put this out eight hours ago he put this out eight hours ago of well, gee whiz, that, that actually equals about a stick and a half of butter a day that you have to eat on a keto diet. And, you know, a lot of people gross out. I gross out. I bet he would even gross out, but the thing is, is he knows that butter actually has a compound in it that actually helps you. So um, I'm, I'm sure because he's knowledgeable in that, that, that base, you know, he can say that. I mean, he knows that. I mean, he lives it too. 
So uh, butter is, is a great source of fat, but you know that's why he's also talking about uh, getting your fats from foods like avocado or meat-based or you know fish, like you can eat salmon. It has, it's, it's a very fatty type fish. So you're actually, because your food does have a lot of fat in it already, that's where you're actually getting your additional fat. Um, of course, he does caution against eating too much protein too. Because so like some people, if, if they've hit that plateau where they can't lose any more weight, uh, you might be eating too much protein. And that could be something where you need to actually cut down or reduce it a little bit so that you can kick your diet back into to full gear. So I just thought that was interesting. So I decided to report on it. And of course he had so much more to actually report uh, on it as well. And he gets into the figures that I try to understand, but you know, it's, it's something I have to keep watching over and over and over again because he does, um, he is very big into intermittent fasting as well, where he says one meal is better than, you know, frequent, frequent meals during the day. So as you know, and your dietitian probably told you to do this too, is to eat six small meals a day. I know, I remember my dietitian said that, and it's probably one of the worst things I could have ever done at the time because obviously I watched my A1C climb up as I was doing this thinking I was doing everything right even though everything felt a little bit weird um and I I think it was the results I had well one I was not losing weight when I was doing more frequent meals I was eating things that I thought were good for me like fruits and vegetables Um, however I may have been adding obviously too much many carbs and of course fruit is a type of sugar and of course sugar for diabetic is deadly so um, because I didn't know this I mean you're not born knowing this stuff Uh, if you were born into a family of a bunch of health conscious health nuts you may know this but of course I was not and so I saw fruit as my friend so of course eating as much of it as possible was supposed to be healthy and so that's how I've always looked at that and vegetables and uh, along with a balanced diet and that was actually what's killing me. I, I didn't even eat sweets I just had fruit and wondering why my numbers are going up. So I think uh, it has a little bit to do with living it and learning. You see, back then and even now, I've always been a fan of my lipid panels because it's kind of giving me the numbers of where I'm actually at. If this is a normal range or if this is abnormal, if this is normal or not. And for the majority of this, uh, now I did have a cholesterol problem uh, back when I was uh, probably about 13 years ago which I no longer have for some reason. But my cholesterol numbers were high, and so they were concerned with that along with my A1C. My A1C, uh, actually, I was pre-diabetic at the time. So they were kind of concerned about what I was eating, and it was a little bit confusing to me, too. And, uh, but ever since then, my cholesterol numbers have been fine. My doctors look at my numbers and they see that my my blood sugar's high, but all my other numbers are normal, including my kidney function. And so they're kind of scratching their head a little bit. And I'm kind of like chuckling under my breath a little bit because I know I'm doing the keto bit. And if the keto is keeping everything normal, then why wouldn't I continue 
what's making me healthy, what's dropping my A1C, and what's keeping my kidneys going, etc. The keto diet, got to give you a warning disclaimer here, is not for somebody who, who has kidney problems. And this is probably one of the first red flags that I saw when I first started looking into keto and uh, going into ketosis, where a couple people who I had talked to, one lady said, well, I know a lady who was doing keto and she ended up in the hospital. Yeah, that's some scary stuff. What's going on? Anyways, her kidneys ended up shutting down. She could have, see, I don't know the story on her if she was having kidney issues before that actually happened. I don't know the whole story on that. All I can report on is what I've been doing and how it's treated my body. So, as you know, diabetes destroys not only your kidneys, it destroys every organ in your body, um, including your skin. And so, of course, I'm concerned about that. Um, But one of the things I've noticed as I've reduced my carbs to practically nothing is that any skin issues, and your skin's the largest organ of your body, my skin issues cleared up. So diabetics get these these red patches, either on the back of the neck, under the armpits, groin area, etc. And um, as far as what I've read, doctors aren't quite sure, besides the fact you have diabetes, of what actually causes it. So with the red patches, and like with me, I experienced these red patches as well. Of course, I didn't get it at the back of the neck like some diabetics get it on the back of the neck. I never received that, but for instance, mine used to be um, in my armpits. And it wasn't painful or anything, but it's just this red patchy skin that, that appears underneath the armpits. And it's a little bit embarrassing when you raise your arm. Like there's this, it's more like a pinkish patch for me and then all of a sudden a couple of days it just kind of sloughs off and then I got normal skin again very weird happens once a month usually around the menses or something so there's something going on with the hormones and everything so uh, very interesting if you if you actually have PCOS uh, you might actually have the same thing because people with PCOS which is polycystic ovarian sy- syndrome if you're female um, they have some weird things that actually happen. And so uh, it, it has to do with the hormones in the body and stuff. And so if, if you have something like that, something similar, then of course you can understand that. But of course this is what links me with other diabetics is the fact that yes, I, I've had the pink skin too. And that was back when I started that back when I was a pre-diabetic. So um, I don't think it's a symptom of the, the medications though, but it's one of the reasons why I went to my healthcare provider in the first place was, yeah, because of appearances, I mean, you get this weird looking red patch on your skin, you want to know exactly what it is, what it's doing there, and how to get rid of it. So um, it's something that I lived with for a long time because I did not know how to deal with it. And then after I found that I could actually reduce my, my sugars with metformin and diet, then uh, eventually I didn't have to worry about it as much. So that was kind of like one of the one of the many symptoms that I've actually experienced as a diabetic. There were some other really weird symptoms as well when I was a pre-diabetic. 
like I used to have to deal with um, my heart fluttering, uh, something that I don't experience now, you know, 13 years later. Um, what are some other things? And just not generally feeling well. So I was pretty sick back then, and I knew there was something wrong, but I couldn't pinpoint it until I went to the doctor. So some of you can relate to that. Others of you are just like, what is she talking about? And it's okay. There are other topics if, if this one isn't of interest to you. There's plenty more talk topics you can listen to. And please feel free to share those topics with other people who you think may be interested in that, either for uh, that weight loss cure, which uh, lowering your carbs can definitely do, or just because they may think they're pre-diabetic or diabetic and they're looking for additional support. Definitely want to support the diabetics on this program. So getting back into Dr. Eckberg. Dr. Eckberg is probably the most compassionate. Now there's a lot of compassionate doctors on YouTube, mind you, and there's a lot of compassionate doctors out in the community. There's also a lot of doctors out there who are just in it for the money and you can go into a doctor's office and the next thing you know they're prescribing you all kinds of different pills you didn't think you needed to have and uh, the next thing later you know after several thousand dollars you're out the money and you're wondering what happened uh, you just got scalped by a doctor who wanted your money so um, finding a good doctor uh, first thing you need to do is find a doctor but find a good doctor your holistic doctor or medical doctor. Uh, there are medical doctors who do know about keto. They're amazing. And uh, there are doctors out there who won't touch with a 10-foot pole because they still have that old thinking that that fat is what causes heart disease. Fat is what causes obesity. Fat is a scourge to everything in society. And it's really not. If anything, by reducing the carbs, which I I will be honest with you, when I first started the keto diet, I was scared of it because I'm reducing my carbs to near nothing. And this is what I've been told all my life. This is what keeps your body healthy. This is what keeps your brain active, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But when I started thinking about carbs converting into sugar, I started thinking about that and I started thinking maybe... Some of the other doctors are right. You know, the ones that we thought were kind of crazy. Maybe they're right about carbs. Maybe we don't need as many carbs as we think we do. So, in a famine, I I think that we kind of throw keto out the door, but maybe not. So, the thing is, is people, whenever they're they're starting a new diet, they start thinking, oh, this is going to be expensive. Now, if any of you have done Ginny Craig or Weight Watchers back in the day, you're paying X amount of dollars for X amount of meals. Yes, it was expensive. You're paying roughly around uh, what equated to three meals a day at $4 a meal. And then you were buying these snacks in between times, which, by the way, you're eating way too much anyways. Um, the meals left you still hungry. Sometimes I'd open up a couple of those because I was not full on them. I hate to admit that. But uh, Jenny Craig used to have, oh, she's still around. I'm not knocking on Jenny Craig, but she had these things called Jenny O's. And I remember eating them thinking they were just the most horrible. Sorry, Jenny Craig, I gotta admit it. But I thought your 
version of Cheerios were, were the most horrible thing I'd ever tasted in my whole entire life. It was just not palatable. And I'm wondering why they're torturing us, torturing us with skim milk and their special products and giving us barely anything to eat and why I'm still hungry after I eat the meal or you know, I'm not satisfied. So I eat it and I'm not satisfied. I want to eat another one. That was not the right kind of thinking. The thing is, is when you eat fat though, like let's say you decide to break open three eggs and have a couple of pieces of bacon and it's filling and it literally lasts you all day. It's the fat that's in the eggs, it's the fat uh, that's in the bacon. That's what's keeping you going all day. And you're just like, I'm completely satisfied because I just ate a meal that I really enjoyed. And like, let's say you cook your eggs in butter and that butter is actually working on you. I mean, that's a perfectly keto-friendly meal right there. You don't need Ginny O's. You don't need to eat or drink the skim milk or, or be on some specialized diet from one of these nutritionists who don't really know what they're offering. So if you can be full on one meal a day, and the rest of the time you're fasting, you know, if you've listened to my podcast, you know, I hate that word fasting, right? Um, I do. I hate that word fasting. You're just eating one meal a day. This is not unusual. This is something that I used to do in my college years back in the days because I was a starving student. We're called starving students for a reason. We learn a certain way to eat. And back in the days, back in my 20s when I was going to college, I didn't have a lot of money to spend on food. It was spent on books and tuition and stuff that I needed, you know, supplies that I needed for school. I put out an insane amount of money to be able to uh, attend a college that really was just for my enjoyment anyways, because I really didn't, you know, get that art degree that I always wanted and become a world-famous artist by any means. But um, I had, I didn't have a lot of money, but I did have a dollar or two to spend a day. And so with that two dollars I chose wisely, um, I bought the best meal I knew that would actually fill me up for the entire day and keep me going 24 hours until my next meal. And I looked forward to that meal too. So let me admit to you what I ate because it's kind of weird. And it's, it was a very simple diet. Well, one, I had uh, George Foreman's lean, mean fat grilling machine. And so oftentimes I'd buy like a skinless, boneless chicken breast so that I could fry on that and get all the fat out because of course nobody wants to eat fat because fat's been demonized, right? And then I'd eat that, that uh, skinless chicken breast. Maybe I might have two of them. And that was a meal. Or I'd make uh, a cabbage concoction of cabbage and um, carrots and some other vegetable. And I put those together and then I'd eat for a week off of what I called cabbage stew. And it was like $10 a week. So I, I, that was my budget. It was about $10 a week. You know, nowadays people think people can't live off of that. But you can actually eat quite healthy uh, being poor. So you're not probably shopping at uh, some of the expensive grocery stores that offer the pesticide-free cabbage or the grass-fed beef. But 
if you're poor, you're going to make do with what you can. And you're going to get your vegetables where it's the cheapest, whether it be a farmer's market or a grocery store, and uh, your carrots. And you're going to keep within your budget because you know you need the rest of your money for rent. <laughs> so um, that was the big thing for me where a lot of the money went was uh, towards rent and towards, um, of course, school supplies and trying to pay for college myself. It was difficult times, but uh, during the period of time was, I mean, it didn't help me lose weight by any means, but it kept me alive and kept me healthy and happy for the most part. And, um, and sometimes when I was in between making that pot of stew in the crock pot, or if I ran out of like the, for instance, the boneless skinless chicken breast, and of course my meals were real simple back then because of course I was in college. Um, I'd go to my favorite every once in a while. I'd go through my favorite Jack in the Box, and I'd have myself one of those big old jumbo jacks, you know, with all the bready stuff on it, and you know the lettuce, tomato, and regular hamburger bun, and that's all I'd eat with just that sandwich. And, um, you know, that was a buck. So that, so that was in my budget. I could actually afford that. I didn't know at the time that um, I might as well have been eating dessert because I didn't know at the time that, that that bun, that carby bun, would actually convert to sugar. I didn't know that back then. I mean, if I would have known that, I probably would have exited out. I'd always been pretty careful to not eat sugar, but I was not careful not to eat carbs. So I was eating a lot of carbs. And, or if I had rice or potatoes, potatoes were huge too. So like my cabbage stew had potatoes and it had to have potatoes in every, at every meal because potatoes are affordable and they're filling. And when you don't have meat, then you at least have that. And occasionally I'd put some beef in there too, but for the most part, I just lived off potatoes and I thought I was doing the right thing no weight. I wasn't losing any weight, but I thought I was eating right. So nowadays I still eat cabbage. I am still a cabbage crustacean type fan. So I'll eat my cabbage. I will eat uh, broccoli, for instance. I will eat asparagus. I will eat spinach. I love my deep leafy green vegetables. Um, I do not eat lettuce. I don't like lettuce. You can't pay me to eat it. I think it's foo-foo food. I don't think it's a real food. However, there is one exception, and that's if I'm doing a lettuce wrap so that I can avoid eating carbs such as um, corn tortillas or flour tortillas or bread, then I will actually uh, use a lettuce leaf to actually wrap my meats in. That, that was okay because you're not getting any carbs there. What I want to do is I've, I've literally, like, sugar's definitely poison. And I really do look at carbs as the enemy. Even though a lot of vegetables do have carbs in them, they're literally the only type of carbs that I feel is worthy of actually eating anything else. And I'm eating garbage, and I know it. Now, also back then, I demonized avocados because everybody knew that avocados had a lot of fat in them. So I demonized avocados back in my 20s and 20 years ago. And I opted more for potatoes, more carby type foods. People, this was absolutely not working. 
if I wanted to lose weight. And this was certainly not helping if I was insulin resistant, if I was. I don't think that back in my 20s, I was as insulin resistant as when I started in my 30s. In my 30s, you know, your system starts to change and then you become carb resistant or insulin resistant, not carb resistant, insulin resistant. Then you have to start changing your diet because your body's taking in way too many carbs. So I'm looking at the factors that actually change uh, mid-30s. Well, one, you have age against you. When you age, you're more likely to have diabetes, right? But there was something else that I did in my 30s that I didn't do in my 20s. And that was more of an... And this is where it gets really weird, okay? This is something I observed. This doesn't mean it happens in all cases. This is just for me, okay? One of the things I did was I was wanted to be more heart healthy because, of course, heart disease runs in my family as well. And one of the things I did that was heart healthy is when I, I put this little magnet that I got from, I think it was from the American Heart Association. And around it, they had all these different types of vegetables that are healthy for your heart. And I wanted to actually incorporate more of those vegetables into my diet and believe it or not when I incorporated these vegetables like you know bell peppers and tomatoes and other things into my diet I don't I'm not quite sure if it was uh, that which pushed me over the, the ledge a little bit to become insulin resistant or what but the change in diet um, also came with a change of getting older, trying to be healthier, and now I'm having insulin problems. And of course, I was eating a lot of potatoes at the time, too. I'm not, ne- you know, rice once in a blue moon, but potatoes is basically a staple in my household at all times because at the time it was just me and my ex-husband who were, were there and eating, and we were both kind of poor. And we didn't spend a lot of money on food. Our emphasis was, you know, paying rent and paying our bills, etc. Being good people generally. Um, so we didn't pay particular attention to the diet. He was happy with like the meat and potatoes. He's a meat and potatoes kind of guy. Never gains an ounce. Me, I just look at food, gain weight. So um, started emphasizing a bit more fresh fruits and vegetables into my diet. And that's when I started building up the insulin resistance, which is kind of weird too. So if you wonder what came first, the cart or the horse, um, it came with a change in diet that actually, I think, made me insulin resistant, not to mention it runs in my family. So I had that precursor and I was getting older. But I can't even say that is what caused it because... Another factor is I have um, PCOS, polycystic ovarian syndrome, and that automatically is your blood sugar numbers. Now, before the age of 35, I had never had my A1C tested. So the fact of the matter is, is I could have had uh, my A1C elevated. Like for instance, everybody else's is like at 100 and mine was 120. And this could have been going on since I was a teenager. And so that's very important to note as well. And there are a lot more. Now, whether it's more kids are getting tested with their A1C or that has always been a a contributing factor, unknown. But with uh, the risk of blood sugars being higher in 
in, in uh, teenagers now as well, um, that's, that's considerable. That means that there's definitely something that they're doing with their diet that's actually raising that. And of course, if you go into history, into um, what our ancestors actually ate, they had periods of starvation, they had, you know, like one meal that they were actually eating. Um, of course, some of them were actually dying pretty young too, in their 40s. But their, their diets were different. And so, of course, our diets are, are way drastically different now than they were a thousand years ago, or even 500 years ago, or even a hundred years ago. So where things were kind of, um, kind of sparing that they use, for instance, let's say they use potatoes sparingly. Uh, now you have in today's society where we can order potatoes or get potatoes whenever we want to, or get our rice or, or our bread products. So uh, they were basically meat eating, loving people. So I wonder, I don't know if they had vegetarians back then, but I'm, I'm sure they did. There were periods of time when they were vegetarians. Now our bodies are smart. Our bodies actually adapt to, they adapt to our diets as a survival technique. So if you think about it, the hunter gatherer way back when, where he was just, you know, like meat, put it on the table and you know, the, the wife goes out and she collects some berries and nuts, etc. If you think about it, if you think about a, a, like a, a medieval diet of meat and berries and nuts and how much healthier, like healthier that was, because in today's times, that's what they're telling diabetics to actually eat um, on the keto diet. Maybe they made bread, who knows? But uh, maybe it was a product that they had all the time, or maybe it wasn't. But obviously, in the way that things are processed now, it's, it's raising people's blood sugars. Kinds of number, crazy, crazy numbers of how many diabetics there actually are out there. And you got to remember, not everybody gets tested for diabetes. So if you have, you're lucky and special. And feel sorry for the ones who. I'm, I know I feel bad for the ones who are diabetic and haven't even been tested yet because basically they're living a lie. They're believing the, par- the food pyramid guide. They don't really want to know if anything bad's going to happen to them. They don't see the difference between dying at 40 or dying at 60 or dying at 80. And um, it does really wreak a lot of havoc on the body. So um, my heart goes out to them and I hope that that uh, when they do discover they have diabetes, that they're not so far gone that they're going to have to be on insulin. Again, not a bad thing, but I don't think it's a proper approach to type 2 diabetes. Your diet is a proper approach. Eating the right foods is a proper approach, and definitely uh, listening to a really good doctor um, who's going to change your life is a better approach. So, and let me also address the word I don't like, fasting. But let me introduce something else that I don't mind, intermittent fasting. Intermittent fasting is probably the best way to actually jumpstart your system. So if you actually hit a plateau in your dieting, the intermittent fasting is going to help you bring your blood sugars down. When your blood sugars are down, then you're going to be able to continue your diet. And if you really, really want to get technical with it, 
and like let's say you don't use a meter to actually test your blood sugar I would actually encourage you to do that uh, to see where your blood sugars are at because the higher your blood sugars are the less chance you're going to be able to burn fat and the lower they are then the easier it's going to be for you now of course I'm going to name drop Dennis Pollock hi Dennis Dennis Pollock, of course, is uh, blood sugar, my blood sugar guru that I actually check in with, in with every once in a while on when he actually has a new video out. Love watching it. He does a lot of interviews with other di- diabetics who've actually done keto, and they lost a tremendous bunch of weight. And you know, they're, of course, are thanking Dennis Pollock for his contributions because um, everybody who actually helps. Anybody who helps other diabetics to actually lower their A1C is a champ. They're amazing. They are literally lifesavers of uh, the few far between people who actually have diabetes. Actually, there's a lot of us. But um, the people who actually really do pay attention to these people have so much to learn from them. Dr. Eckberg. uh, There's also Dr. Berg. He does go into diets as well. He's okay, too. Um, Dr. Fung, he's a good one. Uh, just, you know, David, or Dennis Pollock is not a doctor by any means, but, um, he's learned it well enough to where he's pretty much mastered his blood sugars, I think. Um, and if he hasn't, he needs to go online and say something because I, I think he's a master at it. But these people are champs because, you know, they're bringing this this stuff forward to you so you can actually learn from it and better your life and your health for a better lifestyle, better and healthy lifestyle. So, okay, so I'm almost at 40 minutes here because I can talk forever, as you know, about absolutely everything and nothing all at the same time. So I'm going to challenge you to something. Do something healthy. Let's say that you just listen to this stuff and you're keeping it in the back of your mind. Do something healthy for yourself. If you're eating too many potatoes and you're diabetic and you know this and this is affecting your blood sugar, try stopping. Try stopping the starches, the carbs, and see if it makes a difference or not. Try to, like, let's say you don't want to do keto um, because you're already on a special diet. If that's not working for you, Just try something different. Dedicate every day to being healthier you. Go through your cupboards and throw out anything that's sugary or carby or not good for you. Yeah, I know these are hard challenges. I mean, it took me a long time to be able to do this, right? It's like, no, I'm not going to throw out $2,000 worth of food. Like, if I had $2,000 worth of food, I don't right now, but if I did... Um, start with small challenges. Um, next time you bake those cookies, try using an alternative sugar that you know is safe for you instead of using the full batch of sugar. Uh, you may want to warn your guests, but <laughs> some people aren't too fond of things like Splenda. You may want to warn them, but um, it's not necessarily a bad product. Or try some keto bread. Look up a recipe on how to make keto bread, for instance. And I know Dennis Pollock has a great recipe for the, the three-ingredient bready stuff that he actually puts out um, on how to make keto bread. And I've, I've come out about that before. And also, you can even your news source, like for instance, on my phone, 
any topic that comes up about type 2 diabetes, I want to get right away. And a lot of times I'll get recipes that are actually very pertinent to uh, helping me to control diabetes or keep my, my carbs low so that I can enjoy products such as pizza. I can make a cauliflower pizza, for instance. Um, and so learning new things is going to help you manage it. You see, I think not only can you help yourself by doing this, but you know, you may become eventually very keen at what you're doing to where you know it's working and you may want to share that. Either start a podcast on Acre and make sure you send me that link because I want I want to hear what you have to say too. Start a web page on Facebook or uh, try something like MeWe. MeWe's pretty good. It's, it's kind of fun to actually read those anyways. Um, or on Parlor And just put what you know out there. You know, let people know what's working for you. And by all means, share this podcast with your friends or family who uh, need that extra guidance on how to, for instance, control blood sugars. Like, let's say they're raging and they're not quite sure what to do. Keto diet might be right for them. So it might actually get it under control. Now, of course, uh, they may want to see the doctor as well, metformin, etc. But um, also, diet's going to be you're gonna you're gonna be your best moderator when it comes to controlling your diabetes. Your doctor is not gonna be able to do that. The only thing your doctor can do, like let's say you keep eating that way, you found out you're diabetic, and you keep eating that way, all he's gonna do is put you on more medication to control it. And of course, the whole point is to reduce the amount of medication or come off of the medication that you're actually on. So if you can do this through diet, then that's what you should do. Do you know how many type 1 diabetics would love to be able to do that, but they can't because their pancreas is destroyed? You still have your pancreas functioning. So there shouldn't be any excuses for you, right? You could easily walk in there one day and be a type 1 diabetic. I mean, that's got to suck, honestly. Absolutely no offense to type 1 diabetics because... I think that if anybody's gotten a raw deal, they have, because they don't have a pancreas to actually work with. Um, then again, you have Dr. Bernstein, who was a type 1, and changed his diabetes with diet, so obviously there's something to it. And he had it much more difficult than what a type 2 has to deal with. So imagine one day you're rushed to the hospital you don't know what's wrong. You just woke up, you're extremely sick, you can barely get out of bed, uh, your heart's been racing, uh, some other diabetes symptoms, uh, you're extremely thirsty, and there's something like totally going wrong. You go into the hospital and you find out that, for instance, one of your kidneys is shut down or something. And, uh, uh, or, or they just decide to, you know, do your A1C and they're like, uh, your A1C is like 750, you're going on insulin immediately. So, I mean, they just totally skipped the whole metformin period and they went straight to type one. Okay. I didn't say it in the right context because that's not how you become a type one. You don't be a, you're not a type two first and then you become a type one when you're diagnosed with type one, but diabetes So let me clarify that. But the point that I'm trying to get to is you don't want it to go. You don't want to forget about this or let it go too long. If you know something's wrong, seek 
guidance immediately get it done get it taken care of and that way you can be the captain of your ship instead of allowing a doctor to do it who is just the person who says okay you need to go on this medication and this medication and oh this one's not working well then we need to actually change it up and if this doesn't work I'm sorry but you're gonna have to go on insulin so you don't want to be that guy and you don't have to be you don't have to be that person or let's say you're on insulin now you're on insulin and you want to try keto because you want you want to change your lifestyle with diet you can actually still change your life with keto uh, the thing is though is you're going to have to work with your doctor on this and you're gonna to have to find a doctor who agrees to allow you to do keto there's a lot of doctors out there that just don't know about it now they might also try you on just a low-carb diet that you know like low-fat low-carb etc the problem with this is that you're gonna be hungry all the time I know because I've been on it it's a horrible diet you just want to eat it sucks and insulin in general packs on weight and so that's one of the reasons why people want to stay away from it is because they don't want to be you know three four five hundred pounds and um, with a keto diet you're not doing that so there's there's pros and cons to everything uh, the insulin you can like I've seen people on insulin in there eating like a regular normal human being yes I envy that but no I don't ever want to go on insulin so I'd rather control with diet and just stay away from the foods I don't need to be on and it's an uphill battle it's going to be hard when they bring out that big huge delicious decadent fudgy chocolate type cake that you know you have every year at Christmas and you can't really eat it I mean you may take a bite you know some of us you know just want to indulge a little bit and it's probably not going to kill you but obviously eating the whole thing like you used to is not going to, to work out you know the whole slice so um, one of the good things that keto does is you don't even have any desire to eat carbs anymore after a while you don't your body doesn't need it that means that you've become fat adaptive or fat adapted and when you become fat adapted your body's finally burning the fat inside of your body that you may have stored up and that's when you become healthier so you know they talk about the the good fat and the bad fat you know like in our body we have like this white bad fat and then we have the brown fat and the brown fat supposed to be better than the white fat our all of our goals should be to get rid of the white fat and you know protect our organs we don't want too much you know we don't want like a fatty liver or you can have and I just found this out a fatty pancreas or other things where it's surrounding the organs and of course it's doing damage to your organs now the fat actually uh, also it, it's very conflicting as well because it actually um, has a hormone in it as well and that can wreak all kinds of havoc on the body so I had an issue last year where my body was completely out of whack my blood pressure was through the roof and um, I had gone back to a normal diet 
which is not good after you've done keto. It just, I don't know, it doesn't work all that well. And they had me plugged up to all these heart monitors and everything, and they were testing my my A1C, and they were testing my lipid panels, and like they were doing all kinds of blood testing and stuff like that, trying to figure out why my blood pressure is so high. And it's still unknown. It might be that I have some allergens to certain foods that I may have eaten at the time, which I cannot pinpoint. And, um, but, you know, they just kind of like said, okay, you need to get back on, you know, certain types of medication like metformin and acinopril and you should be fine. And I was, I was fine. So there are a lot of contributing factors as to why somebody, um, like one person in their A1C can go back to normal on a diet and there's other people that are just out of control and it might be due to allergens. And if this is the case, then you need to get an allergy test and try to find out what, what's going on. Okay, this pretty much wraps up this episode. I want to thank you very much for tuning in. Please like and share this podcast. I don't know if it has a like button, but you know, you can share it anyways. Um, share it on Facebook, share it on MeWe, share it on Twitter. Um, pass it off to some of your friends, family, anybody who uh, could use this. Um, I would say moral support because, you know, of course, diabetics are not all that common and definitely not the general public, but kind of are. We're all in this together, as they like to say. Um, Definitely, or if you know anybody who's into fitness and you drop a few pounds or whatnot, you may want to suggest it just because there are some similarities when you're losing weight on keto with diabetics, uh, believe it or not, which is kind of cool in a way. Uh, one of these diets can actually really help them to actually drop, you know, up to four pounds a week, which is amazing. So back in my grandparents' time, for instance, two pounds a week was pretty amazing now we can drop up to four pounds, which is a lot faster, healthier, tastes great. And you, you know what? If I can do it, you can do it. So this is Margaret Copeman Frankowitz, and I'm going to go ahead and sign out. Thank you so much for listening. Remember to be kind to each other and to, if you're bored and you have time, listen to some of my other videos. They're kind of entertaining, sort of. I get more entertaining as time goes by, I guess. And, uh, of course, if you have even more time to spend on listening to videos, definitely look up Dr. Stein Eckberg and his new video that came out. If you're listening to this today, fresh, uh, on uh, February 19th, um, that's when his video actually came out just eight hours ago. I can't remember the name of it, though. But, um, of course, if you're familiar with his videos already, uh, you shouldn't have any problems finding his newest and latest that come that, that come out. Subscribe to his channel if you want to get his um, videos regularly. It's definitely worth your view. All right, thank you again, and you have a great day. Thank you.